Um, this is um, Silhouettes, uh, the deepest dive into Jersey Boys you have ever taken. Um, and with us, uh, t- today's episode is going to be a Tommy DeVito deep dive. Um, it's, he, he's, he's, uh, he's an interesting man. He lays it all out on the table. And uh, with us, we've got the man of the hour. Right, we got Nicholas Jamard. You know what's so up? Cool. He's been booked. You know, he, this, I mean, you've been booked basically since 1996, yeah. right? You, you've, you, you, from from Canada to the United States, you've taken the whole, the whole, you know, North America by storm. Um, you were, you were in, um, you played Fierro in Wicked in San Francisco after mm-hmm. uh, uh, doing the tour. And yeah. then um, you were in the original Broadway cast of Mary Poppins, which mm-hmm. like already the the spectrum is just so diverse. It's amazing. <laughs> um, and then uh, he and then he played Bert in the touring cast of Mary Poppins, and mm-hmm. you you closed out the Broadway production as Bert. You're, uh, I mean, this is uh, that, that's just such an amazing thing to be able to close out. Yeah, a Broadway production. I remember you, uh, you were talking about that with Imogen Lloyd Webber on when you went on Live at Five mm-hmm. um, towards the end of the Broadway run, and she asked you what that was like, and it was just it, just thinking about that is just so magical. I mean, the crowds automatically get wilder and crazier, and I heard stories. Gia was at the closing night on Broadway, and I I heard stories, and I, I was I used to watch the Saturday Night Screams. Um, when they uh-huh. got posted to YouTube, and um, it the the the, the final the final Saturday Night Scream just made me cry. It was just so beautiful. Uh, yeah, um, it was it was so much fun, and to be part of the closing cast of both Mary Poppins and as well Jersey Boys to play Tommy for the the last uh, you know four months of the Broadway run was just very special, and I just had a blast. And it was so emotional, as you said, like both for the people who love the show so much and the cast. It was very emotional after the show was on Broadway for what eight, seven, eight, nine years. I think it was just, it was just very emotional. And and what a run! What a run! Oh, what a run! They're still alive to it, and now it was it was you know like made it smaller and put into the the new the new world stages in New York City, which is experiencing a fantastic you know really well sold run right now. That sadly is closed because of COVID nineteen, but when it's been selling like hotcakes, and I just loved doing opening that production as well. So I've been on a really great ride with Jersey Boys from the tour to Broadway to off Broadway, and then now doing regional productions of it uh it's been really fantastic but we'll we'll dive that into all that a little later oh, right yes so for sure keep going with your, your introduction keep making my head really big right now just praising how amazing i am <laughs> it's true it's true it's it's beyond impressive your resume is for days and especially with the regional theater we'll talk about the muni and so well you were just billy flynn in chicago yes um, in your backyard the theater. 
Yes. Yeah, so, basically uh, in our backyard. I, I know. It's crazy. And two of my friends were actually in that production with you. Um, no, who, wait, who? Like, uh, Abby Yaros and Kyle Lang. Yes, of course. Yes. They're they're amazing. They're so talented. Yes. I never worked with them directly, but um, I remember I went, Abby and I both went to UCF in Orlando and cool. I did, yes, I was a theater and a film critic there. And I reviewed um, when she was in Kiss of the Spider Woman. She nice. was the lead, of course. Yeah. So I met her there. And then Kyle and I are, we were in the same grade and I went to one high school. He went to the other high school in my, in my town and he just blew it everything away so it's so cool that you worked that's, with both of them yeah such a small world they're awesome yeah. i really enjoyed working with both of them oh i'm sure it, it looked it, i wish i went it looked like such an amazing different production of chicago it was an incredible production we had a blast we were really proud of, of what was on stage and it, people who saw the show i mean it was sold out literally like two weeks before the show started like i couldn't even get a ticket for my parents like i had to beg and steal and like bribe the artistic director and say listen if you get me Two tickets for my parents. I will come back and do shows here forever if you want me to. <laughs> oh my god! Yay! Well, please come. The Malk, the Malk Jupiter Theater is. I mean, I think it is definitely, in my opinion, the best regional theater in in South Florida. Yeah. But they 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 did South Pacific there a few years ago, mm -hmm. a production that would would rival. It, it, it was it was just so beautiful. Everything they do there is so great. And I'm, yeah. I'm so glad you had an amazing experience. Oh, absolutely. There. Yeah, I, I haven't done regional theater much in Florida at all. That was my first time. My wife did uh, Evita at the Multipeter in 2005, six, seven, somewhere like that, like a long time ago. And she loved it. And so it was mm. so great to go back or for me to go for my first time. And I was lucky to be able to bring my wife and daughter and my fa whole family down for six weeks while we were there. And we just had a great time. It was such a wonderful time. So oh, I can't wait to go back. Yeah. Good. Oh, well, I have so many questions about, about touring and regional theaters anyway, because there's such, like, there's mixed, mixed feelings about it for actors, like doing regional theater. Yeah. And I think that's ridiculous. You know, work, work mm -hmm. is work. And you have such a wonderful opportunity to create something so yeah. new. Once you, once you get the rights, you could do whatever you want and make it so different. Yeah. And fun for um, Gia calls you uh, the Gene Kelly of 2020. Oh, and I, I, I have to agree, you know, you're, I, when I, when I found out that you could tap dance, like unreal, I mean, it's, it's so it, you're, you're the, it's unreal. You're a triple threat and you're, you're also, you're also, you're so nice and you're so, you're so kind. Shut so up. Humble. I'm not, it's, it's, I have a reputation to hold up. Okay. I am not, I'm an asshole. <laughs> Oh, it's true. You, I guess I, I, well, I first started like watching your Instagram videos because I've been following you, of course. Um, not in like no, no, a creepy way, just like, oh, I love, like, this guy's great. Um, <laughs> I feel the need to say that. And, um, no, but I was watching uh, the video you made, um, with your wife, mm -hmm. with Desiree. Des yeah, Desi, you both are amazing. But when you were doing <laughs> Time of My Life, I freaked out. I was like, well, this guy, like, I, I was, I was so blown away. Everyone, please follow his Instagram <laughs> and check out his videos. Uh, so he and his wife, that's what I do. Um, you created a, a wonderful theatrical duo called Superheroes in Love. Uh, you started that yeah, yeah, five that's years right. ago, right? Yeah. It's so cool. And like they've, they've done performances at 54 Below together, like under that really cool duo name. And now uh, with Quarantine, uh, you are somewhere in New York City or somewhere near New York, New York City, uh, coming up with all these wonderful routines oh. and beautiful harmonies. And they are oh, taking yeah. Thank you. That's so great. So. You guys were like, you guys were like the royalty of quarantine content. <laughs> I mean, you guys were were 
pushing that stuff out and it was it was very well made and i just watched the mm-hmm. um, the finale yeah. when you guys did cheek to cheek it was all, all mm-hmm. and you guys were all over the house and in different places it was so well the dancing was so smooth <laughs> the singing was beautiful it was so well choreographed and i love the little uh brush section you guys were doing Sweet. in the kitchen well um, thank you i mean i will have to send you the entire show that was our first living room concert that we did in april that that finale you're talking about the cheek to cheek it was then the song goes into shall we dance from uh, by by uh george uh, gershwin so uh, that was the first one. And then uh, the yes. one that Gia is talking about, the time of my life, was the finale of our second living room concert, which was at the end of May. And our third one, we're going to do uh, our next uh, living room concert on July 25th, and it's going to be live from California. So it's, uh, we, we are changing our location, but it's going to be very, uh, very similar to our last two concerts, not in our house, but in Desi's parents' house, which is great. And uh, so I will make sure that you have all that information for you to, uh, so you can watch it as well. But I will send you as well the, the links to the, the two previous ones so you can yes, see the entirety. Please. It's an hour and fif- the first one was an hour, the second one was an hour and fifteen, and we have guests that come along and come on the show as well, and it's it's a lot of fun, and we have a great time. But we've had to adapt, you know, being able to be creative and perform in these times, and people are craving that entertainment because nobody can go to the theater, so it's. Um, it's been very, you know, and, and actors and singers and dancers, we need a place to sing and dance. And so we've been very lucky that with the following and, and our friends and fans and family that we've been able to do these concerts and have a wonderful, wonderful uh, positive and, and uh, feedback from our first concert. So then even after the first concert, before the first concert was done, we decided to do a second one and that one sold even way more tickets than the first one. So uh, people just want to be entertained and we're lucky that we have the, the 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 resources like with our editing and our microphone and our our songbook. You know, like we we want to keep putting content out to entertain people, our friends and friends and family and whoever wants to watch, uh, because people are needing to be lifted up and and uh, inspired and entertained in these crazy times because we're just so bombarded by. Oh, there's just the crazy things happening in this world. So it's nice to provide an escape and as well to. Mm-hmm. bring joy and and love to to living rooms from ours so i'll make sure you have all that you can see our shows and have the info yes please and everyone That's tune right. in july 25th superheroes <laughs> in love yes. um <laughs> yeah superheroes in love on instagram and also just to give your handle it's ndromard um n-d-r-o-m-a-r-d so i will definitely see and thank you so much so so much for providing that entertainment and specifically thank you for the songbook that you've chosen because what i love about you guys is that it feels like you're in your performances it's like you're discovering theater for the first (laughs) time as a little kid that's that's kind of how that's kind of how how i see it because it's just so wholesome and wonderful and because everyone feels like a pressure to always they have it be like just like try like the next new thing, which, which is wonderful. We have to, of course, like keep up with the times and be modern and create new things, but you guys take the classics and make them so oh, fun and so yeah. current still because of the Thank messages you. in these songs. Um, no, cause it's, it's about pure love and family. And that's, that's really what, what theater yeah. and the arts comes down to. So I really appreciate you bringing oh, all of those songs back 
for yeah. all generations to see. I well, that's the thing. We, we love that classic stuff. We love the like cheek to cheek and the, uh, the, the, the older songbook from like, you know, and bringing songs from cabaret and Chicago and stuff that, that is, is modernized and we, people are familiar with it, but as well, like our next concert, I don't want to reveal too much, but our next one has like a song from damn Yankees and like has classics, or even the boy from Oz, you know? So it's, it's certain more obscure things, but, and, and Desi loves to sing and sounds great singing stuff from like the Liza Minnelli, every song, or and Cheetah Rivera, like Gwen Verdon, the, the, the icons, the true triple threats of that generation that people aren't so familiar with anymore or people who are just coming into the theater now or have heard of, of course, Cheetah Rivera and Liza Minnelli, but are not as familiar with their the material that they sang or for the concerts and stuff like that and the roles they played. So um, Desi is just a powerhouse, a true triple threat broad that just sings with such power and so i'm able i'm able to just ride a, a, go along for the ride and see her perform and then do okay and then i'll do my you know this and that and i was uh, it's it's so much fun <laughs> that's exactly what jersey boys is because people go to the show for the first time and they, they know the songs but they don't know that the four seasons are the people who who like who originated all of these so yeah so what you're doing with with your show is also what you do with Jersey Boys. So it's just so cool how everything comes full circle in that way. First question we want to ask you. Um, so David and I have done some, well, a lot of research, of course. Um, but we found that um, you probably have the most performances as Tommy DeVito um, like in the history of the show. <laughs> I do. Um, I, I totally get you. Because of course we know, uh, like Joseph Leobori, like he definitely has the number for for Frankie. Um, Aaron is mm-hmm. well on his way, but we think that you have the most for Tommy. Like, can, can you give us a ballpark number of how many times you've played him on stage? 1173 times. Wow. Yeah, give or take a few shows. That's, that's <laughs> a number. Yeah. Because, um, I'm, I'm thinking because yeah. you've, you've done, you've done, um, three, three big productions of the show, right? You did, you did the tour, yeah. you did Broadway, you did off Broadway, and then not, not even counting your run at the mm-hmm. Muni. Um, but, yeah, we'll count that one also. Um, and then, yes, but then you kept coming back, you know, even after you <laughs> left uh, New World Stages, you came back a few times. Each time you came back, I came back also to see, um, to see you. Um, but I, I think o- over the years, I think you, I think we, we think we, you definitely rack up the the, the most performances. Well, that's, I'm, I'm very happy to hear I that. Cool. I hold the trophy. Yes. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> now we want to ask you, um, how many combos of seasons have you performed with? So if you count that there's three, so there's three people in a building that get that can play the role, right? So every main role, main season has two understudies. So if you're going to count uh, the three, so three per guy. So every production I've been with, I've played the role, or the, there was a nine different combinations of me with. Uh, you know, th- th- three, six, nine. So yeah, I think that's, if I do the math right, that's nine combination of roles per cast times three different casts. And then there might've been more like uh, a change of cast on the tour. We had two new seasons join in. Um, so if you, if you count those, I probably around 30 or 32 different versions of seasons wow. I've done the show with. Yeah. That's amazing. That's, yeah. that's that must be so. That must be so amazing. Not just because oh my god, that's like crazy, but like imagine. Aaron Aaron described this so well. When when you go when you go back to see a show, 
it's like you're watching your favorite TV show, but it's different. It's just so exciting as well just to have, you know, like like you said, just doing it with somebody different that might do a little different reaction and different things. Nothing that changes the intention or the scene or, or you know, a new, a new line, but just the way a person's approach and their interpretation of the role. They're true to the role, but they also bring themselves. And that's what I think a, a great actor will get lost in the character, but as well be able to bring themselves to the role. And that also takes an amazing director to allow you to do that because some people are just like no this is a you know you're a, a cog in a wheel don't change anything and do this like that and as much as we'll talk about this how Jersey Boys is very choreographed to the to the pacing of the show as well because there's so much underscore what is so great is that we are allowed to also bring what a little bit of Nicholas Dramar and put that and blend it with the role of Tommy DeVito to create what we think is the role. And so that's what I love about, about being able to do Jersey boys or even, uh, you know, the great director of, of Mary Poppins. When I played Bert, I would bring that, that little Nicholas Dramar isms that are true to that, that time period and the role and be able to make it my own. And I think that's, what's so amazing with, with how actors and live theater is that you will go like you've seen to show how many times David and how many different characters seasons have you seen play the different roles? You can attest that everybody who brings a part of themselves is so it's so exciting for the audience and also so exciting for the people on stage. So it's, it's really, Big it's time. so much fun. Yeah. Big time. Could you tell us some of the isms that you bring to Tommy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, as you know, since seeing the show, Tommy is, he has, he's, yes, he is kind of the bad guy, the villain-ish of the, of the show, but he's not because he got things done and he brought the band together and people gave him money. People believed in what he was selling. So he has to be, you know, kind of a, a little sleazy and got the band in trouble, but he also has to be likable because people followed him and people trusted him with his vision and what he was pushing for. So I think that what I'm able to bring to the role is that, and people who have, have seen the show or, and, and have reviewed say that I make uh, I, a, a despicable character. You feel sorry for for Tommy because you love to hate him and you hate to love him. And that's, I think what I'm able to bring is because of, I bring a little charm to him that he kind of has to have because if he's just a a sleazy, annoying, loud mouth, uh, you know, a-hole, then he, he wouldn't be liked. And people would be like, get out of here. I hate you. And I'm not going to do anything for you, but he got the band together. He, you know, he, yes, he got the band in a lot of, of, of debt, but he, he was there the whole time and his vision pushing, pushing, pushing. And as much as there were some issues with the way he pushed and where he got, how, he still got the band to where it was before they, he, Frankie and Bob and, you know, took it in and, and then cradled it and it made their own, made it successful and financially sustainable versus what Tommy did. <laughs> so I think that's, that's what I'm able to bring that character, the little charm that makes you go, Oh, I like him, but I hate him, but I love him. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, especially because you opened the show. So you have to mm, open with that's right. charm. Oh, 100%. Yes. You're that first yes. impression of the band. Absolutely. I have to hook the audience. So I, ha- I can't be like, the audience can't be like, I don't want to, who is this asshole? I have to be able to be like, hey, hey, listen to me because I'm Tommy DeVito and you're going to like me, but you're going to hate me. 
<laughs> I love that. Oh, well, well, thank you for saying that. Like, because it's true. Like, like off the cuff, people are going to say, "Oh, Tommy's the villain. Tommy's the bad guy. He's the antagonist." But, but you're, yeah. like, he's not. That's what's great about an ensemble That's show right, yeah. is that no one, like, you see everyone's flaws. Um, now, this mm-hmm. is a little bit of of a sidebar, but we had a question about like about villains in general. We had a funny thing about mm-hmm. about Disney villains. Yes. Comparison. Yeah. Like this is the part where Tommy DeVito's on Instagram and going, "Okay, which Disney villain will he be?" <laughs> One, yeah, exactly. So, oh, hold on. So, what's your? Who is your favorite Disney villain? Who's my Nick favorite D- like, Disney villain? Wow, uh, that's a good question. I don't. Huh. I, I. You know what? Because it's so recent, because my daughter loves it so much. I think um, the crab in Moana. I think he's a good villain because he's he's what? like yeah. Um, Tamato- what's his name? Tamatoa, right? Yeah, Tamatoa. And he is the the crab, and he sings shiny, and he's it's. I think he's yeah. very. It's he, he's a very small role, but he's so like the song he sings, and he's like he's got this. He loves shiny things, and it's distracting him. He loves talking about himself. So I don't know. Maybe I like them because it's it reminds me a bit of Tommy DeVito. Maybe that's what who Tommy DeVito is. Very maybe. Tommy. Because he he likes to have a shiny shell, and he likes to talk about himself. <laughs> but he's kind of a. Wow oblivious to everything else so i don't know yeah and if if tommy was taking a buzzfeed disney villain quiz yes which one do you think he would get ursula and then we'll tell you (laughs) oh are you kidding me are you kidding me because that's what oh wait i think you you read our notes didn't you (laughs) yeah yeah, he he read the notes he read the notes he's a cheater (laughs) no it's not Sing this one. But I, I completely agree with you. I think that, you know, very showy and like, yeah, take the voice. And then like he has, she has, you know, the eels that she commands and like her minions or her thugs. So, you know, that's, I think that's Tommy and Ursula. Yeah. She's very manipulative. She's very manipulative. And Tommy is... We're getting into deep oh, psyche. We, we have a, oh, we have a whole section on that. On the I, I, I think it's fair to... It's, <laughs> I don't know if it's fair to say, but I I think if, if I think about an antagonist in Jersey Boys, I think the first person that comes to my mind is Tommy. You know, so So do you see him... As a villain, or do you think he's a, a villain against himself? Here's the thing. I, I think that's a deep question. And, and to put it to put it more simply, I think that the four guys, the four seasons, they were human beings. They were humans, and none of them are the clean, the sparkly clean image that they were advertised to be before. Before people found out that they were arrested and they're involving with drugs or or the the debt and their possible ties with the mob, you know. So I think that when you think of a boy band, like you know, if you think these in, in these days, the Backstreet Boys or One Direction, you see the squeaky clean image that they portray, that they're photographed and their music videos and their songs, and you're like, oh, cool. But you don't know. Ex- well, nowadays you can find out everything, but back then you didn't know. You couldn't go on Twitter or Instagram or Wikipedia and find out all the information about a cer- certain person or what they posted or what their their views and their religious backgrounds. You you couldn't do that back then. So when you think of of the four seasons and the songs and all that stuff, you think, oh, they were they were a squeaky clean boy band of the you know '60s when in fact they weren't. And so, if you are to a- to analyze 
all the guys and see all their faults and all their the broken marriages, the deaths, the the way they treated their family, what they did on tour, how many you know girl women they they would sleep with and cheat on their wives. None of them are are nice, and that's what I think Jersey Boys really dives deep into you know not exposing but like showing that these were not perfect people they were they were flawed individuals with with issues and and alcohol and 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 and, and weaknesses that we couldn't see by watching just their their and listening to their music and so if if you say that Tommy's the villain we're like well what about Nick Massey Nick Massey cheated on his wife he slept around he had a drug addiction what about Frankie Frankie left his family he he didn't you know he didn't support his wife and blah 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 and then even Bob Gaudio he's the cleanest cleanest of them all but again not a perfect guy so of all the people in the show and I think you know people remember everyone remembers it how they need to right so I think mm. that. Uh, Tommy is, he's the one that was pushing hard for the band to be successful. And he might have made some bad decisions and the way he got the band in debt, etc. Maybe makes him the worst of them all, but not the other guys are not the best either. So, yeah. You try selling 100 million records, see how you handle it. Exactly. <laughs> Did you see the show before you auditioned for it? I did. I actually saw the show while I was in, still in previews. I was in New York rehearsing for Wicked, I think, or it was uh, something else I was in town for, and I got tickets to see Jersey Boys during previews, and I loved the show. And I was like, oh, I'd love to do that show in the future. I, of course, it didn't have tap dancing. It didn't have dancing. And I was like, oh, well, you know, why me? I'll probably never do the show because they, I'm, I don't, there's no dancing, so how could I – how could I be in the show by, by just by my voice and my acting? That's not, that's, you know, I'm a triple threat. So I need, I need to be able to show, wow. show people that I can dance <laughs> and sing and act. Uh-huh. That's what gets me in the door. So um, I saw the show and I loved it, but I never really thought, oh, this is for me. Um, I did play the guitar. So I knew that that was a requirement for Tommy DeVito. And actually the production supervisor, I had worked, I did the tour of Wicked with the Richard Hester, who is the super production supervisor of all Jersey boys all over the world. And I saw him on the street one day and he stopped me. He's like, hey, do you play the guitar? I was like, yeah. He's like, okay, good to know. And then two weeks later, I had an audition for Jersey Boys. So, and wow. my, my audition story is really weird. My first, my first audition for Jersey Boys was back in 2008. Um, and I went in and I, they wanted me to prepare Nick Massey. And then, so I, for two weeks, I was like rehearsing Nick Massey. I was learning all the lines. I had an acting coach for that. And then the day before my audition, they call and say, Hey, actually learn the Tommy DeVito stuff. We want to see you for Tommy and not for Nick Massey. So I was furious because I had spent a few hundred dollars with an acting coach. I'd memorized all the lyrics, all the scenes. I like, was, I was ready for Nick Massey and to go there and yell and like be 10 years and like, then to be thrown off and be like, no, audition for Tommy. I was like, well, are you kidding me? I was so upset. And I kind of had that chip on my shoulder going into the audition. And I actually, they said, hey, so are you ready to do the Tommy DeVito? I said, I prepared the Nick Massey stuff. So I'm going to do the Nick Massey. And then we can read the Tommy DeVito. And I think they were kind of pissed at me for doing that. Wow. <laughs> what the I balls just, do you know, have? Good for you. Because I, mean, I, I was so prepared for Nick Massey. And like the day before they say, oh, no, actually do the Tommy. And, you know, I, 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 now I know like it's nothing against me. And I have to be malleable. As an actor, you have to be prepared for anything. So I wouldn't be pissed nowadays. But back then I was just like, oh, I worked so hard. And I spent money on this acting coach. And come on, like this isn't fair. 
And I, so. But that's totally understandable. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but point being, I didn't book Tommy then. Although I, they, they were nice and they enjoyed. They, they said good job with the Nick Massey, and they're like, we really want to see you for Tommy and not Nick, which is great. Uh, anyway, so I didn't, I didn't book in 2008, but that was good because I was on my way to San Francisco to, to be in Wicked, to play Fiero. And then I was on tour with Mary Poppins, and then I came back to New York, and then I, I was available, and they asked me to come in and uh, prepare the audition for Tommy. And then I had two weeks to prepare that by myself, and so I was prepared, I had the guitar down, they asked me to play guitar, and I booked Tommy on the tour. So, you know, they were very nice, and they were, even though it was five years later, yeah, I, I went from my first audition in 2008 to my booking audition in 2013. Uh, and then a few weeks later, I was on the tour. I was off to Buffalo, New York, where I started learning Tommy DeVito and joined the tour. It, it shows just how, just how funny life is. You know, you, you never yep. know. It's so unexpected. You never know what's going to happen. Wow. Exactly. Well, I have to say what what you did at, at your audition, like in 2008, like that was probably the most Tommy thing you could have said. You know, it's like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to, yeah, well, let me read for Nick. I read for Nick and then we're going to do it. Like, I, I love that. That's so cool. <laughs> but, but I have to ask because I know this happened to, to Aaron too. It took him years to get onto the show. When it mm-hmm. comes to networking and of course, like doing like, the business side as an actor, did you stay in touch with the casting directors and everyone at Jersey boys while you were doing wicked and Mary Poppins, like how does, how does it really, how does it work? Like, how do you network yourself and do you have to do it often or like, are you, is it bad to do it too often because you don't want to be too nosy? How do you, I mean, staying in touch? Luckily, the, the big casting agents in New York, there's Bernard Telsey, there's, uh, there's Jay Bender, there's Tara Rubin's office, uh, just to name a f- the, the few that pops on the top of my head. Um, they cast numerous shows. So they know when you're available and they'll see you over and over when you're auditioning for shows. Tara Rubin cast me in my first Broadway show, Oklahoma, and also cast Mary Poppins. That office casts uh, Jersey Boys and many other shows. Uh, so Mary – did I say Mary Poppins? Yeah, Mary Poppins. Um, and then Telsey casts Wicked. They cast a bunch of other shows that I've auditioned for. Um, Hairspray on Broadway. They've, they cast for uh, – uh, anyways, they're big and they cast a lot of stuff. So you'll see the same casting offices and casting agents over and over when you're in New York auditioning. When you're away on tour, they know you're not available because you're not in front of their faces. Or they'll reach out to your agent and say, hey, is Nicholas available and interested? Uh, there's a role that would be perfect for him for blah, blah, blah. So they – once you kind of, of – of known ish like in the terms of your skill set you're on the radar for casting agents they'll have you in their in their files and they're like okay we need someone that can sing dance act understudy swing on a rope be a flying monkey uh play the guitar and juggle who fits oh nicholas fits in that category perfect is he available to do this you know so um i it wasn't really I wasn't really re- after that audition. I wasn't like every three months going, "Hey, uh, you know, blah blah blah." Because I was luckily I was I was busy. I was in San Francisco for a year and a half, and then I was on tour with Mary Poppins for uh, two two years. So booked and blessed. Yes, exactly. Knock on wood. I was very fortunate. Booked and blessed. Um, and then when I came back to New York uh, after the tour of Mary Poppins finished, that's when uh, that's when my agent reached out, or I was able to the, to see the casting agents again in new in different auditions, and to be back on their in in their back of their heads, going, oh oh yeah yeah, we saw Nicholas for Jersey Boys back then, and um, 
that's how you kind of create that relationship. And luckily, after I booked Jersey Boys, then now at the Tara Rubin's office, the casting agent for Jersey Boys, Mary Sugarman, um, I shoot her an email whenever I'm available, or she shoots me an email saying, "Hey, I, there was a. Would you be able to go on tour for a couple of weeks? There was a. You know, someone's injured themselves. We need a Tommy for the tour of Jersey Boys for three weeks. Are you? Are you? Are you free? You know, like that. They skip, save some time by just being able to be like, you know, just reach out to me personally. Which is great to be on on that on that that friendship or that uh, that level with uh, people who give you jobs, because <laughs> then you'll get more jobs, or they'll remember when you throw them a bone, or they'll throw you a bone. It's it's nice. Of course, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. I know a lot of our actor friends would be wondering about that question. Yeah, yeah. But the the the, be- the best things for people who are going to business, or just while we're all saying, you know, so thanks to your actor friends, would love to know this. Just go into an audition and always the first be nice. Show that you are that you are positive and that you just want the job. Don't go in there and try to be someone you're not. Just be yourself and and say please and thank you. You know, like the the well raised person that your parents raised you to be. And uh, you know, be as prepared as you can be. Because if you're not prepared, if you go in, people remember when you have a chip on your shoulder or like you're rude to your accompanist or you're not saying hello. Like people remember when you're. You know, it's it sucks because people remember the negatives more than they remember the positives in this world. Any for anything, you know, people remember the scandals instead of remembering the the great things that happened. Uh, so, just a side note: be nice, be nice to everybody in the room. Smile, sing your song, be prepared, walk out, and let it go. Let it go, let it go. <laughs> there we go. Thanks for the crooning. <laughs> We got Sinatra over here. Going to be right. bigger than Sinatra. Yeah, only if you stand on a chair. <laughs> uh, hey, hey why you got to say that kind of stuff? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys. That's oh, awesome. Yeah. You mentioned the guitars. Yes. So, um, and you're totally welcome not to answer this to keep the magic alive. Um, were slash are the guitars ever played live? on stage absolutely yes the guitars but and until the new world pro- stages productions all guitars that you saw on stage or should I say, most guitars you saw on stage and bass and drums were played live now due to sound restrictions and budgets for the new world stages no the only guitars that are live are played by the musicians so at the end of the show when you see all the musicians on stage and like you see the the synthesizers and the pianos and the, the drummer in the back those are live but sadly, at New World Stages, the Tommy guitar, the Nick Massey bass, uh, and the Farfisa, the Bar- Bob Gaudio pianos are not played live. But at certain, in certain on tour, on Broadway, most, if not all of them, were all played live. Yes. Wow. So it was, you, you guys really had to, if, so were, I, I'm wondering if, if anyone really had to, if you knew anyone in the show who really had to learn how to play after they booked. So I wasn't the best guitarist. I'm still not, that's not one of my fortes. I can play basic chords and basic stuff. So for when I joined the tour, I would have private guitar lessons with the guitarist on the show to at least put me live in, in some songs. The, the guy who played Tommy before me on the tour played almost every song live. Like we're talking like I did all of that to ragdoll, big man in town, not a ragdoll. Cause there's no guitars, but big man in town. Um, most songs in the second act and first act, he was always live uh, because I wasn't as good that I was able to just to really focus on a few songs. And I was live. 
uh, I was good enough to be live on, you know, I Go Ape, on uh, uh, uh-huh. uh, My Mother's Eyes, and a couple more that I was able to perfect and get better at and play bass easier, but still be live and sound good. But there was some, there was, especially with the choreography, like Beggin, there's no way I could have a oh my God, chord yeah. while doing that choreography. Like, I know the chords, and without without dancing, I can play Beggin, really. it's it's I love it. I love playing Beggin on the guitar. Ayo. But then you add that choreography, and like, oh my God, if I try to be live on an electric guitar play, doing Beggin, it would sound like crap. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine doing those Frankie splits yeah, while playing ex- the guitar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, there's some aspect that limit the, the amount of guitars that you can play when you're trying to look like a badass in the Megan choreography. But um, I was, I was, I love being able to, you know, do a sound check before the show where I'd do my microphone and then I'd say, okay, Tommy guitar. And I'd grab my guitar and like start playing my mother's eyes. Uh, that was very special. And that's something that's not, that I wouldn't do in any other show. So that was really cool. Well, let me tell you, it always looked so realistic. Sweet. It always looked so realistic. I'm glad it, I it was you. great. <laughs> Oh, big time. It was great. Um, so you mentioned, so I, I've always wondered about this because in, I know in community theater, mm-hmm. like mic checks are like an essential part mm-hmm. of the process, yeah. you know, um, uh, each night. Um, and so what's a mic check like at this level, you know, touring Broadway? So is, is there a sound check every night? How does if, that work? So on tour, when you change theater, there's usually a sound check and a tech, uh, a tech run. So if you have a lot of, of uh, technical elements, let's say the, the tour of Lion King that has a, an entire pride rock that moves from offstage to onstage, usually what they do is when you change cities, when you bring a show on tour, they want to make sure that everything looks good, sounds good, and works. So uh, even on the tour of Jersey Boys, we would have a tech run when uh, the, f- the very first uh, – Jersey Boys tour and the second national tour had some uh, automation elements such as the the drums the drum set that would roll on stage and spin uh, where you brought down some uh, some stuff stuff from the flies um, usually you do uh, before the first performance you would get to the theater probably if the show is at seven o'clock you would get to the theater at three o'clock and we do kind of run the big the things that that, that are very technically heavy so you'd run part of it from the top of the show until the big three like sherry big uh, big girls don't cry and walk like a man because that used yeah, everything most, moving exactly yeah. everything used that the pianos the microphones were brought on stage uh you would do that check with the sound with all the technical elements and then if that went great, then fantastic. Then you don't have to do sound check or tech anymore in that city. But of course, on the tours, you move every three, four weeks. So every three or four weeks, every time you hit a new theater, new sound check, just to make sure everything's good, no feedback, and tech run. On Broadway, since you wow. don't change the theater, you don't, don't change location, you don't, do, you don't need to do sound check. The, the sound guys before the show will test every microphone, and because the, the show ran perfectly the night before, nothing needs to be changed. No levels need to be adjusted, so you don't need to do a sound check every night. The sound guy will make sure the microphone works, and then when you're on stage singing and dancing, they can adjust if they think you're a little loud that night or your, your mic placement is a little too low or too high in your hair. They might make some adjustment to make you louder or quieter. So that's why we have amazing sound engineers in the back of the house watching the show every night. <laughs> yeah, that's so that's so amazing because, I, I, like I said, in, music, in, in community theater, <laughs> every night, um, since you know, sometimes they they don't always have the best sound system, so it's 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 like an every night kind of thing. So th- that was just always something I was 
very curious about. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned all, all the fly systems and stuff. Uh, what was it like flying up from under the stage every night before Ragdoll? It is the coolest thing. <laughs> it's oh my awesome. God. I just, I mean, anytime I'm able to either tap dance upside down or fly onto a, a roof of a house like <laughs> I did in Mary Poppins or come out from come out from a, a trap door and be riz- lifted onto a stage with microphones like at the top of Ragdoll like we did in Jersey Boys. Oh, that's, it's so cool. And it's just, you feel like a rock star. <laughs> I, I mentioned to Gia that um, whenever, uh, I saw the show on Broadway three times mm-hmm. and um, whenever I watched, after Sesuari La, mm-hmm. when the, the early year started, whenever the mics flew up, from under the stage when you guys started, ah, I always get goosebumps yep. when I watch that moment because yep. it's just, it, it's just, that that's the ma- the magic of theater, of yeah. live theater right there. Like the magic, you yeah. know? It is. It, it's, it's having a bunch of people in an audience experience the same thing at the same time. And to have moments like that, where that just the microphones coming out of the ground gave you goosebumps, you know, like as an actor yeah. coming out from like on a trap door that's being lifted with the audience right in front of you and you lift and you see in the spotlights that gave me goosebumps. And to be able to share that one night, that experience together, in, during the show is what makes live theater so amazing. And it's so sad right now that all the theaters in New York, in the, in the world essentially, or all of in the States are dark right now because nobody's experiencing that, that magic and that experience together. And theater will come back and will be stronger, of course, than ever, just like every other time something's happened where it has to close. But it's, it's really sad right now. But people are, are excited for when things reopen and we're able to to assemble again and, and share experiences in the theater. It's going to be a, a, an amazing, amazing time, uh, hopefully sooner than later. But that's what I love about live theater, just to be able to, to give you goosebumps <laughs> for you to see my goosebumps. <laughs> so what the, your, your guys' entrance for Ragdoll uh, New World Stages and whenever the show is touring, now even, even that entrance is super, like, because like, it's, it's fully black. It's like the, this the only other blackout in the show um, and the lights come on and you guys are just there. So that, that's pretty magical too, but n- I don't think anything will beat the flying up from under yeah, the-, the, the trap door. Yeah. Yeah. This is like a really silly thing to say, but um, I, so I flew up for the final show mm-hmm. on Broadway, January 15th, 2017. Yes. Uh, one of the craziest days of my life. Not going to lie. It's, it's the passcode on my phone. I love that day. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, so I, so the second they announced that it was closing, I bought my ticket like right away. And, but they blocked off the first 10 rows. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you know, like for the family is like for Frankie, for Marshall, like for, like for Sergio, everybody. Um, but I was in row 11 and I, I'm, per- I, this is maybe just wishful thinking, but I think you looked at me. Like I, I was like the first, like, I was your um, like your spot when you first like came out for your monologue, so I just wanted you to know. Like I, th- I think I think it was me you were looking at. Absolutely, it was you. Show. It was you. Yes, <laughs> you did. I was, I was in your blind spot for sure. <laughs> you remember? Like, it, it was it was really cool because it was you and, and Drew. Like you both like had like this oh, one spot. I was looking behind me to see if there was anything. Yeah, I, I I'm a huge fan of his too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but at August Wilson, I was looking to see like if maybe there's a place where you all look in the audience. Like, did you have a place no. where you would look or no? No, not at no? all. No, okay. it was. It's at. Of course, it's at the the discretion of the actor where they're. I mean, we have to address the audience, so we have to talk to the audience. Those are direct addresses where we, there is no fourth wall. We are talking to people in the audience, or at least addressing a group. So it's just wherever you feel comfortable. We we the only note that director would say was keep your chin up to at least address the balcony at times, so they don't feel like you're you're shafting them and not talking to the audience you have to bring the entire theater in right so it's just yeah. a matter of making sure you look at, at many spots in many areas but i, I do remember talk, talking to you the few lines to you gia oh. absolutely row 11 <laughs> well, like, you were like in row k k12 i think that was your seat number that's the way i would look yes you know what i think hold on <laughs> i will check my ticket later it might have been 12 i don't <laughs> Oh, she's buffing up the I will, I will check after this, and I will. I will miss it. <laughs> there's, there's, there, there, there was, there was that, um, there was that uh, thing that uh, yeah. Nick Kroll and John Mulaney did their Oh Hello show that they did on Broadway. Um, where they play those two old guys and they're like, you know, thank you to everyone uh, in the in the mezzanine and the balcony, <laughs> but tonight we are going to be playing solely to the orchestra. <laughs> if you could play any of the other three seasons, who would you pick and why? Tommy DeVito. There's nobody else I'd want to play. It's the best role. <laughs> nobody else. I can't, I can't answer that yeah. question. I mean, yeah. it's okay. Purely, if we're gonna say if I, if if Nicholas as the actor would want to play another role, which other role would he want to play? Uh, you know, as a then I'd say Nick Massey because he is an enigma and because he spends a, a lot of time off stage with Tommy that I can be backstage and, and mess around and <laughs> watch the show. <laughs> mm. um, Frankie works so hard. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to play Frankie. And, yeah. and Bob Gaudio is, uh, <laughs> he's a kid. He's like kind of the, he's green and he doesn't have a lot of experience. So I think that it's a great role. And I, 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 but I think, I mean, Tommy is the best role of the show. He starts the show. He's got to be a V12 mode engine that just, you know, roars in and like screeches with his tires and go, Hey, li- listen to this story. This is how it starts. This is who I am. And you're going to, you're going to love me and then you're going to hate me, but you're going to love to hate me. And so it's, I think that's, that's <laughs> Tommy is the hardest role to play. And also I think the, the best role in the show. <laughs> he's got the yes, best hair in the show too yeah, he's got your the hair best is hair um, I, I, you know what I'm telling you this show runs yeah. so deep for me that it, it really influences how I wear my <laughs> hair you know it's it's crazy I, I, I mean that people say I'm crazy for saying that but like I don't care um, so I, how, how long did it take you to learn how it to do It took me a few hair? a few tries to really perfect it, especially because you have to run a microphone through your hair. So it's figuring out when do you blow dry it? When do you add the product? When do you put the microphone in? <laughs> Just to, to be very like, yeah, 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 yeah. We, there's, uh, because it's not a wig, so it's not like the, the wig designer can, or the hairstylist can come and help you. It's, it's basically this, here's a photo. This is how we want you to do it. Um, do it. And what product do you need? Okay, we'll give you some hairspray, some gels, a comb, a, a tooth, uh, you know, tail comb. And if you want other things, let us know. Oh, and here's a blow dryer. <laughs> so it's it's really trial and error. And John Rochette, who's now playing Tommy DeVito on Broadway, I, or off at New World Stages, I think it takes him about 45 minutes to do his hair. 
because there's not one hair out of his. Oh my god. <laughs> no, seriously. And he is awesome. But thank you. I, 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 it meant, it meant a lot that you said that, because uh, it, it meant that, that you noticed that about my hair, because I, it, I really do, I really do take it to like, I you take should. it to the next level. Why not? You know? <laughs> yeah. Do you take 45 minutes to do it too? No, I don't. Or a little, yeah. <laughs> I brought it down to 10 minutes, yeah. 10 minutes. It took me 10. 10 yeah. <laughs> I wet it, I blow dry air, and then I add some some like uh, a pomade that make with a matte finish, and then I put the microphone in. I recomb it, and then I hairspray it with while covering the microphone so it, the hairspray doesn't get into it. And that process takes right. about ten minutes. So yeah, ten minutes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, thank you, thank you for sharing that with us because I know for me as a little girl, when you think of of Broadway stars and actors, like like if it, it, it's it's like. It's like a Hollywood movie in a way, just mm-hmm. on Broadway, where like is it, you're sitting in your chair and everyone's doing your hair, doing your makeup for you every single night. Like that's what I always imagined. Oh yeah. Um, but that's not how it is. Yeah, no. It's, like, it's, it's uh, you know, there's only so many people you can fit in a theater, and so many, so much. There's only so much time before a show. Um, we as actors, you only have to be at the theater. You're only required to be at the theater 30 minutes before the show starts. So at half hour, everyone needs to be in the building. Um, I know that like shows like uh, Shrek, uh, the actor playing Brian Dar- Darcy James would come to the theater an hour before the show because an hour is when he would start uh, to get his makeup being put on. Alphaba and Wicked as well. She, I think she comes on, she gets to the theater 45 minutes before the show starts. And for 20 minutes, she is painted green by a makeup artist to make sure she is flawless and perfect uh, in her green before the makeup artist then goes off and uh, does other people. Um, Dr. Dilliman needs to have his makeup done um fiero in the second act when he transforms into something else uh not to give anything away he has to have uh, the makeup artist come on and, and assist him and do it so there's times that it was created where the makeup artist can be there to assist but a show like jersey boys there's no makeup artist because there's no makeup scheme and the hair it's like people there's so many wigs in the show for the women that that's what they're focusing on and yes they'll assist you if you need it but if you know guys Learn how to do your hair and look good and make it look good on stage because that's your responsibility. Tips. Tips with Nick Dramard. With Nick Dramard. Tips with Nick Dramard. <laughs> with Gia and David. We're, we'll come up with a theme song. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Imagine if you had like frosted tips with Nick Dramard. That would be, oh, God. That'd be really funny. One day. If there's, if there's ever an NSYNC musical, you know, that would if be. you dig deep in my history of my of my life, there is uh, a time where Nick Dramart had frosted tips, and I'm gonna not no anything else. <laughs> Perhaps even bleached blonde hair. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. But I was 16 once. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely dig into the archives. I, I feel like I feel like that would work for Mamma Mia. <laughs> yes, and it did. It was absolutely yeah. for Mamma Mia. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> well, 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 since you brought up Fierro, um, well, so compared, like, comparing Tommy to like to Fierro and to Bert, um, which are challenging roles, you know, vocally and and like, yeah. choreography. Um, yeah. what challenges were presented to you while doing Jersey Boys? Like, if you're comparing to the other two roles, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, uh, Fierro, it's it's a lot of singing. So, uh, vocally, it's hard for the songs. I remember having a cold and I had lost my voice, but I could still like sing a bit. And then I got to as long as your mind, and I could not sing the high notes. And I I was so angry with myself for not calling out because I should have been like, you know, taking my pride aside, but like, no, 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 
you call out sick so that you can rest your voice. And I didn't sing, you know, I couldn't sing the high notes. Um, so Fierro is very vocally challenging in the sense of that physically, not so much. I mean, dancing through life was fun, but it wasn't really that physically challenging. Uh, Wick, uh, Bert and Mary Poppins step in time. I would walk off stage every night drenched to my underwear and my sock. Everything was wet from my sweat because that's a seven minute <laughs> tap number where there is no time to breathe, no time to drink and relax and go off stage. You're on stage swinging a brush, a br- you know, a chimney sweep, tap dancing, and then you have a harness on or Disney magic that you suddenly fly and tap dance on the ceilings and come right back down. So there's certain things that are, they're restraining your mobility and your, in your movement as well as your tap dancing. So that, Bert and Mary Poppins was one of the most physically demanding jobs I've ever had, especially uh, in, there's quick changes, there's costumes that are underdressed. So you start the show with one costume on, then before Jolly Holiday, you'd have two costumes on, even though, so you can strip one quickly and come right back on stage and be colorful. So there was a lot of physical stuff and, and magic that required physicality. Now with Jersey Boys, it's, another step, another level, because there is so much acting, so much scenes where you're talking and then singing and then dancing that it took about a month for me to really get comfortable so I wouldn't hurt my voice and I wouldn't be uh, vocally tired. Because as you know in the show in the second act, Tommy is gets really angry and for a good minute and a half, he is yelling at every other person on stage and very passionate and so it was about really figuring out the control to be passionate and be intense on stage without having that vocal intensity or having that vocal intensity without being loud. So that took a, a while for me to really focus and not lose my voice so I can come back and do two shows on the Wednesday, you know, with the Wednesday matinee and Wednesday night. So that was the physically demanding challenge of, of uh, Jersey Boys. Plus, add playing guitar while dancing and singing, and that, then it's another at level to add to the physicality and the dancing. Uh, another challenge and like i said at the top of this interview if you you need to be able to do everything to be hired these days so juggle swing on a rope be a flying monkey while singing dancing jersey boys and playing a guitar and doing a backflip on roller skates you will get the job <laughs> amazing yeah well so do you feel yes, like, sure. like everything that you've everything that you've done like is anything going to be daunting for you now because it seems like no. you've done it all and you can do it all <laughs> everything's too easy now <laughs> I need to find a, a musical where I'll do all that, play guitar and the flute while hanging upside down uh, in the flying trapeze. I think that'll be my next challenge. Let's maybe, do it. Maybe, Let's maybe Xanadu. They could bring all of that to Xanadu on roller skates. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, well, so this is the last question that we'll ask just like for, um, for tying in all of these wonderful characters that you've played. Um, but do you think with Bert, because uh, – well, we think that Tommy DeVito is Bert's evil twin, um, mm-hmm. where like, it's like because Bert, like he he's sweet, you know, he gives credit where credit is due. He's respectful to everyone, like to women, like he's good with kids. Like, do you bring like so with the charm that you mentioned before, how you bring to Tommy? Like, do you bring Bert's sensitivity to Tommy? I think there is a part of that, yes, but I think I think most, you know, Nicholas brought the charm to Bert and took and, and blended that. And so when I left Mary Poppins, Bert was 
you know, had an imprint on me as a person that I then brought into to Mary Pop to to Jersey Boys and to play Tommy. There, you have to bring that experience with you with me as a person playing that role. And so, to yeah, there's there's a bit of birth. There's a bit of the, you know, my entire career. Every role I've played has you know have, has been imprinted on me, or I've made my imprint on that role. Uh, yeah, but there, there's some Bert in every role I play. There's some Tommy in every role I play now as well. Um, because it's such, it becomes a part of you. You do it for so long and for, you know, you, you, you research and do so much work with a character that, you know, when my wife says that for certain auditions and she's like, Oh, just be Tommy for this. Just be Tommy DeVito. <laughs> like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Great. That's what I'll do. <laughs> Yeah, so, especially for yeah. Chicago too. I couldn't imagine what you're yeah. like with to Tommy to Billy Flynn. That's like the perfect blend yeah. of just an awesome the, badass dude. Uh, <laughs> you know I mean? If you had seen the show, if you had seen the show, you'd be like, "That was if you put Bert and Tommy blended it and put it on stage. That's what you got with more Tommyisms than Bert because you know that character Billy Flynn's not as nice, but he was a showman and like razzle dazzle, a little soft shoot tap dance. But then I had to be the sleazy Tommy DeVito <laughs> and, and like the bossy with uh, with Velma so it's uh, ah you should have seen that show oh, I, I, I <laughs> was going to say oh, I, I was yeah because yeah, David and I both live in New York or New Jersey now so I, w- I wish yeah. I could have been home that would have been so I mean, I, and that's the thing to go back to that question is that yeah no, every role you play you learn from them and you bring that and you, and you see in your future auditions the future roles you play like oh could I bring a little Bert to this could I bring a little Tommy or is Fier- you know is the Fierro Fierro journey good to, to apply to this audition to this character or and when you book the job it's like oh yeah i'm gonna put 80 percent of of uh, tommy devito 12 percent of uh bert uh, it's it's fine and and that all adding that with who you are and bringing that on stage and seeing what the direct and as well working with the director to be like is this a good representation of what you want uh with this role and with this show so yes, i think that all you. that and i think i think when you're when you're doing long runs too it you're you're able when when you're in a role for like a year, mm-hmm. which I, I was talking about this with Aaron last week, um, a, a lot of uh, people my age, you know, in high school and in college, they only get to do, if they're lucky, uh, a week of yeah. performances after rehearsing for three or four months. When I was doing community theater here in Miami, I was blessed to do three or four weeks sometimes of five to six shows a week. Wow, that's um, awesome. Yeah, and we were all in every single performance. You know, wow. we, we 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 had double casts, but mm-hmm. um, if you weren't playing your role, then you were in the ensemble, and um, so we we were able to build up that stamina and build up that energy. Yeah. But when when you're immersed in these roles for at least a year, mm-hmm. it's it's I I. I, I always say like one one of my goals is to do to do a long running show and it's I, I can only imagine how, how special that is you get to you get to live with it for so long and it's really special it really does become yep. a part of you it really does and as well being a, doing a long running show you also have to treat your body as an athlete because you do eight shows a week and like I was saying being vocally prepared and and learning how to be able to bring 110% at every performance you become an athlete and you have to train and sleep and rest and eat well 
you know, a lot of people think, oh, I, I get to do the show. I'm in New York City or I'm on Broadway or even when you're in, in regional theaters, you, you have to prepare and be the best you can be in your show. So you can't go out and stay out and play rock band and sing out your, your, your voice until three or four in the morning and then expect to do a matinee and sing perfectly. So, you know, I think it's, it's very important for everyone to know that, you know, doing eight shows a week, it's a job. Once you do it for a year, it, it becomes a job. You have to make sure it's fun. It's what we love to do. But you have to make sure that you are the best you can be. And like I'm sure what Aaron said last week for his preparation for, for Frankie, I know some Frankies, they go on the treadmill and they sing while running yeah. on a treadmill or run it so that they can build the stamina to be able to do it, the show every night or twice a day. Um, so it's, it's important to be prepared and to be healthy and to stay healthy and to keep your craft up and keep your skills up. Because if you don't, somebody else will. So it's fun. It's great. But keep, you know, be healthy and be strong and eat well and sleep well, rest. And that's it. <laughs> that's my soapbox and my advice. Next question. <laughs> this has been this has been frosted tips with Nicholas Jamal. <laughs> um, so we're actually going to take a quick break. Okay. Um, we got Nick Jamard in the studio. Um, it's this is so much fun. Um, we'll be right back. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, welcome back to Silhouettes, the deepest silhouettes, silhouettes. silhouettes. <laughs> You know what? I think I think we got to get you playing Frankie now. Yeah, I could. This, well, is, this is the next step. No spoiler, but uh, I did sing a Frankie song, or uh, uh, yeah, Frankie Valley song in my first living room concert. So when you do watch it, you can uh, you can let me know. Like, oh wow, you sang a Frankie song. <laughs> That's it. And we we were talking about Drew Seeley earlier. I watched yeah. I watched the Cry for Me and. You he he did that little run at the end, and I was like, "Excuse me, what was that?" Yep. And it, it was so true. It was so true. Yes, it was. He so heavy. is awesome. Yep, that performance was so great, and it was it was so fun. And I, that's always one of my favorite moments in the show. Me too. And I remember I was there for for Corey for Corey Jacoma's final performance at mm -hmm. New World Stages, and there was easily a two-minute standing o mm -hmm. after that number yeah That's, it was nuts it, that moment in the show is one of my favorites it's really uh, like it's the first time you hear the four guys sing together in that the sound. first time they made that sound our sound <laughs> and it was it's it's one of my favorite moments in the show when we all finally like after the i love you so and all of us don't go, baby. It's ah, uh, it's I get goosebumps doing that every night. I love that moment where the, it's that moment where Tommy like doesn't want to join, doesn't want to join, and then finally it's like fuck it, I'm in, I'm in, let's go. And the, from that point on, it's uh, it's it's so awesome. It's all yeah, and I I I personally like Tommy's harmony the best there. Mm -hmm. Like and I I I I missed it a little bit because Vincent didn't sing it in the movie. Oh, so uh. Yeah. So whenever uh, Vincent get it together, okay. Um, so whenever, <laughs> whenever I watch the movie, I always I always sing it because it, that that's that's the that's the color line right mm -hmm. there because um, Frankie Frankie singing the melody um, and then uh, Nick Nick is singing Nick is hitting the roots mm -hmm. and Tommy is coloring in that line with those thirds yeah. and 
it always warms my heart. Mm. And when Nick Jamark sings it, it's there. It's there. <laughs> ah, thank you. So, um, so I think we, um, we want to get into our Tommy DeVito dive. Okay. Which, which we have been doing, but we really want to get into the, to the, the, the stuff that we've, that we've found um, from the times that we've seen the show. And um, so uh, TRW, um, the- Theatrical Rights Worldwide, whom uh, they own the, the professional and amateur rights, um, they released their entire library during the quarantine. They own uh, Big Fish. Uh, they own The Color Purple. They own Million Dollar Quartet. And they also own Jersey Boys. Um, and they released their entire library of scripts and scores. And um, I downloaded the Jersey Boys script. And I was just reading it. And um, it, there's, just so much, there's just so much amazing things to, to talk about with Tommy. And um, I guess the, the first question that we had, um, is Tommy consciously aware that he's a manipulator? Or is it a character trait that at one point he loses control of? I think that he manipulates, but without trying too hard. Because he was like, I think the, the perfect example is with Frankie. He tries to bring Frankie and, and to make him do for certain things, like be the getaway driver for when they're doing a little petty theft. And when people push back, he then flips his, his method to manipulate. So if, for example, when... And when he gets mad when I start like, you know, rough, roughing with Tommy, with, uh, with Frankie and like, you know, basically putting him under my shoulder and give him a noogie or whatever. And then he runs off as before he, he can be fully upset and, and be away. Then I give him a compliment. I say, Hey, you, you sang good tonight. And what makes Frankie stop is that Tommy was not the person to give, to tell people how great they are. He didn't. So when you did get a compliment, when you did, when he did say something, people stopped in their track and go, Oh, why? Like it's it it held more depth and more weight than if pers- if then if someone who's always hey you're so great oh you sounded great every night you know like I think if you're so to to go back to that question I think that yeah Tommy was aware of how he could manipulate people but then if he couldn't anymore because people saw through his bullshit and that's the thing I think that's what Frankie finally like even with frankie not with tommy being gone he still were it wasn't people's head like he was still with frankie frankie was always defending tommy you know we wouldn't be here without tommy or you know tommy couldn't help himself he was gambling and he, he just was doing what he knew he could do to get the band to where they were so to i don't think tommy was like the master manipulator and he went he was like could be a manipulator in every circumstances because people saw through his bullshit after a while and he good and he stopped and he couldn't manipulate people anymore because he didn't have that power. So I don't think he was aware of it. And he, I don't think he lost control of it. I think just, he, he just tried. And when he could get away and manipulate people, then he was happy. And then when he couldn't, that's because people stopped seeing through the, stopped seeing the, the bullshit or the, the screen, the smoke screen he was putting up. And people saw through that and say, oh, you're just doing what, what you're doing is not working anymore. <laughs> St. Francis, is that it? Yeah. Kind to animals? <laughs> yeah, <Ta> Frankie. 
Yeah, in our discussions of the show, me and Gia came up with this, which you read our mind. It was like, we, so we call this thing, call, we call it rope acting. Mm-hmm. You know, we uh, he, he throws a rope, mm-hmm. he just pulls them in. Yep. Um, yeah, so well, more specifically, yeah, because I think it's just, because Tommy is so selective with his compliments. And I, you're, and Nick, I'm, I'm totally, with you, you nailed it, like with how... Um, because what he says has a lot of weight, um, especially if mm-hmm. it's if it's something positive. So he's, but then yeah. so he's like, "Yeah, you're saying good tonight." Throws the rope. Yeah, good, yep. not great. So that's no, yeah, exactly good, not great yeah. in the movie. Yeah, but that's what makes him who he is. But yeah, yeah. But, so when do you think was the turning point when people started to see through his bullshit? Is there a point for you when you're acting where it's like, okay, let me throw the smoke screen up even higher? You know what, like. Throughout the show, like just Tommy keeps pushing and pushing and saying that it was always him. Even the point where he gets kicked out of the band, he was still saying, no, you know, it was all me. You're all here because of me. You'd be in the trunk of somebody's trunk if it wasn't for me and my help. And and so no matter what, he's just pulling at strings at this point. He's just desperate to say anything that will save him or that will people will f- keep fighting for him. So it's hard to really pinpoint a moment where people stop seeing through the smoke screen that he's pulling off but like it's 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 constant he always does it he always does even after you know it's even in in the final monologue and yes it's it's open to interpretation it's not it was written by you know rick ellis and and marshall brickman and it's it's you know the show was adapted the the stories of the fourth season was adapted to be a great storytelling on stage and there's certain things that we couldn't put in a two hour and a half show in in a theater space but point being that the, the Tommy DeVito is that personality. You see that everywhere. You see that everywhere in this world. You see all the, the, the people who are trying to sell you something that it's, you know, it's partially true or it's, it might be a little bit good, but it, that what they're saying doesn't hold true merit to everything that they're advertising it to be. So I think that Tommy DeVito was, he was kind of like, the, you know, the, 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 the used car salesman that tries to sell you a, a lemon that he, he was the kind of person that was like, Hey, no, you want, you know, like, I give me some money and you'll see this, like it, the way he dealt with things and like he, tr- he was trying to be part of the mob and like with Jip DiCarlo, like he was, he was trying to be like the right hand man or trying to climb the social ladder. And, you know, all Frankie has to do is sing my mother's eyes and, and Jip cries and gives him a, a claim check. <laughs> and Tommy's like, what? I've been doing, picking up this guy's dry cleaning and driving him to the car race, the horse races. And I don't get a claim check. You know, it's it's to show that, you know, Tommy just people saw with his bullshit and like, yes, he still provided something amazing, but he still had a lot of he was trying to just make shiny things shinier than they were. And there's so many subtleties in the show. And like you've seen it how many times like, you know, that you miss a lot of 19. You lose a lot of stuff if you the first time you don't catch every nuance, every joke the first time you see the show by the fifth time you're like oh yeah yeah oh and you see the reactions you see certain things that happen in the background that you don't pay attention when you see the show the first time so and that's what again coming back to why i love live theater you can see a show 10 times and see something different every time exactly um going back to tommy even when he has no cards left to play Mm -hmm. when the smoke screen is it's 
it's he, he always has to try to get in the last word you know yeah. almost with the, almost with a venom yep uh during the half a mil scene he bites oh. Dario with how many more yeah. hits do you think you're gonna write oh you know and as an actor saying that every night i felt so oh it it made me so like as tommy i was like ha i got you but as a person seeing doing that like if if i was able to watch you know watch myself if i put myself out of my body and see it i would be like oh that is that is low and that is so me like just ugh i would be so disgusted if i said that to someone in real life just to be like you know oh yeah okay how many more hits you think you think going to write you wrote everything already you, you, you there's nothing left up your sleeve cuz you're a has been it's just ah oh. <laughs> and it's it, it's it sets up can't take yeah. so well yeah um, that line, and you know, he seems to be so wrapped up in himself that he doesn't realize that he was bringing the group down. Yeah. And so, do you think Tommy ever owns up to his mistakes? I mean, I of course, he thinks he's a stand-up guy. Everyone yeah. remembers it how they need to, right? Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think that you know, mistakes. You make mistakes and you grow. But like the fact that the band was successful, how many millions of records did they sell? So it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter the the, the stuff he did. The band was successful. It he it worked. Yeah. Whatever he did worked. It got it started the band. It got the seed that sprouted the tree that sprouted the money to fall from that tree for the band. And even to this day, Frankie Valley, I don't know, would he be where he was where he is now if it wasn't for Tommy DeVito that put him on that stage in the club for the first time and and pushed him and said and then brought Nick Massey and be like, train him while I'm in jail or you know train him, make sure he sings like a like the bird that he does and like. Again, it's the perfect storm. If 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 all those guys didn't meet, if Bob Gaudio wasn't brought in, like where will these what where would these people be? Would they be as successful? Or is it it was the perfect place at the right the right time, the right place? That perfect storm of blending these characters together. That individually they they weren't very good, but put them all together and they made magic. Yeah, it's true. Tommy is he really is all about the bottom line and so many yeah. people are like that. And I feel like in every in every group, in any successful group or ensemble, you have to have somebody like that. Yeah. You know, like is it, there's, there's so many different like movies and shows that I've seen. Like for example, I think of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Have you seen it? Yeah. No, not yeah. yet. Oh, oh my gosh. Jeff, it, you'll love it. It's it's one of the greatest shows like seriously. Like yeah. in a long time um but so it's um it's with a jewish family um but but david and i like david's jewish and i'm catholic and um but it's you know it's like same company different division kind of thing and um <laughs> it's true but in that show they were talking about how um like just like different elections and how you know, any guy that's in charge is usually either like really um like he's unpleasant to look at or he's a dick or he's this, he's that. But, it, but it's like, it, there's some truth to that though. It's like, it, you have to have someone who doesn't care about the vanity, who doesn't care about protecting people's feelings. Like someone has to get the work done. Yeah. And that's Tommy. So, so it's, someone it's has that... to say the bad, the, the say something that you won't want to hear, but as well might fuel and create a spark. To go back to what David said, like if if Tommy hadn't said to Bob Gaudio, "You're not going to write another hit in your your life," I mean that might have been that might have made Bob Gaudio say, "You know what? I'm going to prove you wrong," and lit a fire up his ass to write that song. Like that's the thing. It's like little things like that that it, it might have been in out of the my out of spite and it's so rude. But like if someone tells me I can't do something, it motivates me to do it even more. 
So right. who knows? Who like, and so that's why you said everybody, you have to have that one person that says thing that might, that you might not want to hear because it might inspire you or, or make you work harder to achieve that goal, to prove that person wrong, to say, ha, screw you. I did it. And you told me I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's very parental, I think, of Tommy. Yeah. And that totally makes sense mm-hmm. because he took Frankie under his wing. You know, it was exactly. like his mission, you know, to teach yeah. him the ropes. So maybe maybe that's why he went that hard. Yeah. And I, it, I think it's one of the best written musicals ever. And people say it's a jukebox musical. It's not a, I, a jukebox musical is when you put songs from uh, artists and try to tell a story with those songs. Like Mamma Mia. Like, you know, like that Saturday Night Fever, Saturday Night Fever, the song. And so what made what makes Jersey Boys the perfect musical is because the songs are presented how they were written and performed. That that was that was the whole beauty of it during the Opus 17 medley um, during that whole section, which I remember the first time I saw it. This was, I mean, on on the cast recording, it's only like a three and a half, four minute thing. Oh, my God. It's like a 15 minute segment. Um, like a whole thing, and it's it, it, the the storytelling is so beautiful that at mm-hmm. one point after Lorraine and Frankie break up, um, so uh, Frankie sings that one line of "Bye bye baby baby goodbye." It's lower than it's it's in a lower key than he's been singing the entire time and that just signifies oh my god he's tired but he still has to <laughs> sing he still has to do this and. The first, the first time I clocked that, I was like, "Damn, uh-huh. that's so smart." Uh huh. And if speaking of musicality and going else, the last note of the show, nobody is singing below the middle C. So if you go back now, that I've told you, if you listen to the final note of the show, not one person is singing below the the middle C because they wanted to finish in the key that Frankie sings the whole show, basically in his falsetto. So yeah, the seriously. way, and again, why we go back to this show being the best written, the way the scenes flow into each other, the way the, the, the pacing of the show and the, the, the music, the way it's choreographed to the music, not talking about the, the Sergio's choreography, but just the, the, the way the script is, fits perfectly like a puzzle with the show. You can go on for days. And when I, when I talk about the last five years, Jason Robert Brown, that, that's one of my other f- most favorite musicals and best written the way the songs and the melodies intertwine if you play the if you do the musical chronologically before both characters uh it's it's incredible so going back to jersey boys and seeing when you find little little you know easter eggs about oh this song is a little lower or you know i don't know if you know this but uh when we say what time is it when tommy asks mcmassey what time it is and he says what does he say 132 um he says what time is it 132. Well, we're waiting yeah, for the pop audio. Yeah, Yeah. Do you know why we say 132? No. Because that's... That I don't know. Ah, oh, I'm telling you something new. That is the beats per minute of uh, Sherry. Bump. Oh, bump, wow. Bump, bump. It's a 132. Yep, yeah, bump, wow. bump, bump. So if you put that on a metronome, that is the beat of... So that's another Easter egg that they're, he, they it wrote... <laughs> Ron Ron Melrose, can we talk about Ron Melrose for a second? He is a genius, genius because all all of the all of the the underscoring of the ones that got away. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I know I know of a few. I'm still catching them. Um, I know um, uh, my eyes adored you is playing in the pizzeria scene yep. with Mary and Frankie. Um, 
There's also yeah, that. and um, si- silence is golden, mm-hmm. and Dawn are playing in the first time l- l- when Lorraine and Frankie when Lorraine interviews Frankie. Uh-huh. Um, Candy Girl is playing during the diner scene mm-hmm. with Bob and Frankie. Yeah. Um, and I know uh, Trance is playing during the car scenes. <laughs> um, well done. I can't think of any other ones right now, but yeah. I'm, I'm still clocking them. But e- each time I discover, because at this point, I, this is what I'm looking for when I see the show. I'm looking for those Easter eggs. Mm. I don't think I would have ever put 132 together because I've never seen the Sherry Sheep music. Yeah. So um, I, I actually just got um, the original Sheep music or uh, w- when they released the records for mm-hmm. um, Save It For Me and um, one, one of the other ones. So the, the Sheep music came with the record. So I, I looked at those. Those were really cool. But I don't think I would have ever put that together about Sherry. That's super cool. But that's what I'm looking for right now when I see it. I'm looking for the things that will fuel, uh-huh. um, which is exactly why we're doing, which is exactly <laughs> why, exactly why me and G are doing silhouettes. You know, sweet. Well, um, well, well, Devi, with with you saying how, um, like every time you you go to the show, you try to see, uh, you look for certain Easter eggs or certain like nuggets. Um, for me. I try to focus on like one character or like a, like one act <laughs> at a time. Um, yeah. Because I that's just me. I lo- I love just dissecting dialogue and and pure characterization. Um, and what's really cool is that so on silhouettes we have we have a very specific um appreciation for Nick Massey's character and how he relates to every everyone else. Um, so Tommy and Nick like they were never gonna be upfront. Um, you know as as Nick says. Um, but Nick, like like Nick said, well he's like I'm trying to think how to say this. Um. Well, you know, like he says, like, you don't got to be no Einstein to see there's no there's no future for me as a single. You know, like Tommy says that. Um, yeah. But do you think Tommy is intimidated by Nick's musical talent? Because we know that even though Tommy was the leader of the group, Nick was older um, yeah. than everybody else. And, and, and he was the one. Yeah, he, he's the one who taught would. Frankie how to sing and everything. So yeah. do you think Tommy was intimidated by Nick at all? I don't think so at all. I think Tommy was was able to manipulate and, or and just because Nick was older but didn't pose a threat. Nick was just like, maybe I should start my own band. Uh, uh, no, okay, I won't. Like he was not – I wouldn't say he's a pushover, but Tommy was able to just have the power over him because there's never a time where you see a, a, a fight between Nick and Tommy. Nick's always on Tommy's side or defends Nick or defends Tommy and he, and even knows to hold his tongue, even though he saw everything. He saw Tommy spending money and gambling, and he was like, "Hey, did you, did you put that money back?" Like what we know from the show is that Nick was very aware of everything that was happening, but was like, you know, he's got to do what he's got to do, and like just was just gently reminding him, like blah blah blah. But then he has the whole blowout. But it took that long. Like they're never like Nick. Or that we know of, Nick never said, "Hey, stop using all the towels," or you know, "Don't piss in the sink." You know, like it was. That's why I love that they added that in the movie. Yeah, yeah, right. You actually see it. You see with that happening, and that's that's the thing that I think Nick was just like a kettle boiling slowly, 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 and then the the water would just get hotter and hotter, and it took ten years for that kettle to overflow, or whoever you know, ten years in the the musical. I think. If you actually go back to the the true life events, um, Tommy and Nick were only in the band for 
I think four or three years. Like I don't quote me because that's that's incorrect. But if you actually go back to see from when they first had their hits as Frankie Venn in four seasons, Nick actually leaves before Tommy is kicked out. So there's like there's certain things that were had to be shifted around to really to put it on stage and make the storytelling as compelling as it is. But in true life, if you were to go back, you can see like, oh, actually, there's this that's this long, blah blah blah. But it's you know. We don't know. That's the thing that's sad is that Nick Massey passed away. So we don't, we don't have the interviews. We don't have the, the way, does he feel this way? Like when did he actually notice or was there a time where, where Nick and Tommy were not on the same page aside from that one blowout? <laughs> time to break out the Jersey Boys Bible, right? Yeah. Got to look at <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that. Absolutely. That, that definitely works for the, the Tommy deep dive for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think we have one more like tiny segment of things we want to talk to you about. Just, um, just because you are like – you're like you you've been around the block you've been around every block hundreds of times like on national tours and regional theaters and community theaters and um so as we mentioned uh, so you were billy flynn in chicago um in jupiter florida um but so i i have some actor friends who are are very snobby honestly and they have mixed feelings about you know, doing regional theater, doing community theater, touring, whatever. They it's just it's Broadway or bust, pretty much mm. for some people. Yeah. Um, but so, well, this is kind of a two parter. Um, but but with Chicago, like, like with the director you worked with, like when you have the rights, like when you finally can afford to get the rights wherever you're doing it, you have such a freedom to make it whatever you want, you know, you can really yeah. accentuate like certain parts of the story or, or mm-hmm. make the choreography even bigger, the, the projections that there's the value even, even greater yeah. than it is. So, um, so that's one side of a huge plus to doing regional theater. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so what's, what's your comment to those haters out there? <laughs> those Honestly. snobby haters that, yes. that they are idiots to be snobby that way because there Amen. are first of all there are there's amazing regional theaters that reinvent and are creating incredible work of old shows as well as being innovative and creating new work. So Broadway, I, I, I'm you know I don't want to I don't want to be rude, but Broadway is not the end all and be all of musical theater. It's not. It's honestly same shit, different city. It's it's yes, it's the most touristy place, and people and of course, it's amazing things are being produced and and done on Broadway. But it's not. I love to work and do regional theaters because, first of all, they treat you better. <laughs> you know, like Broadway theater in New York becomes very about money. It's very corporate. It's very the bottom line. It's pleasing the investors and making sure the investors are happy. It's not really being. Uh, the most creative you can be because you have to be, you have so many cooks in the kitchen and people with money going, Hey, I don't like this. And, but when you have a regional theater, like, uh, you know, in like the Fulton theater in Lancaster, the Maltz Jupiter, they have an artistic director and they have an idea and they hire and trust the people they hire. So for Chicago, they hired Dennis Jones to direct and choreographed. And never there was a time where the director was like, oh, well, my board of investors, or not the director, so the artistic, uh, Andrew Cater, never was a time he was like, you should change this because my board of investors will be unhappy. Or, you know, like, oh, this will, it, that will uh, offend some of our patrons. It was never a time like that. It was like, I trust the director. I trust what you're going to bring. Here's the rights. Here's the show. Do what you want. And let's put the best thing we can put on stage. And so 
I'm sorry, but your the, your snobby friends that are saying Broadway a bust, they can go beep themselves. Like that's that's rude, <laughs> and it's not creative. We as artists, we want to create our work no matter where we are. So if we can do it at the Mall Jupiter, Florida, in Jupiter, Florida, if we can do it in New York, great. If we can do it in Canada, if we can do it through a, in a small box theater for 99 seats in a 99 seat theater for a bunch of people if it makes you happy if you're being creative and putting great work on stage do it and be happy and that's amazing because i tell you what a lot of actors have gone and done broadway shows they're not happy with and they don't feel creative but we'll do a show uh, in a small regional house with 150 150 seats and they're so happy because they get to do what they want to do and collaborate versus being told what to do Amen to that. Amen. Yeah, mm-hmm. pure collaboration. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so talking about regional theater, and what was it like doing Jersey Boys at the Muni where everything <laughs> was big? New, new sets, yes. new design. New choreography. Ensemble, yes. New choreography. Like yes. there were backup dancers. Like, yes. Like I, I so crazy. Uh, you know, that mm-hmm. was definitely the biggest production ever. Yeah, absolutely. It was so much fun. It was like reprogramming a, a computer from scratch because uh, we had to change like all the choreography. So my, you know, like I could do Jersey Boys in my sleep. I've done it for almost four years. If they called me to do the show tomorrow in New York, I would need rehearsal. I would be there and I could do it, uh, you know, with top of my hand, like with that, my eyes closed. Uh, but then to do it with a different choreography, with different sta- different staging, it's it's yeah, completely okay. like the rehearsal process. I would be like, okay, I need to change brains to do this and it took me a while you know a week a good week to really not go into my old begging choreography or do or, or you know like i would forget what i was doing on stage during one rehearsal i would do something and and i would forget the new choreography and immediately my body would go back and do sergio's choreography i was like oh what am i doing <laughs> like if i don't pay attention i you know your body just goes to muscle memory so it's definitely it's, it's a muscle, and it was training to do something else. But it's um, it's so much fun, and that's what I love about being able to have the rights to Jersey Boys. Uh, you know, like the, being able to do it regionally and other locations where it's not directed by Des and choreographed by Sergio. As amazing as that is, it's not the only way to do that show. So to be able to have a director to reimagine it, to put their spin on it, even though it's kind of you, it's hard to mess up Jersey Boys. It's so well written that you could have no choreography, you don't have to dance, and the show would still be amazing because of the story. Because of that amazing script. Exactly. Yes. And that's why and the show, I think, is it's a play with music and not a musical. I because, was just yeah. saying that. I yeah. was just saying that. And you know, I, 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 when I saw the show um, in, in Miami on tour, that was the first time I saw Aaron and Corey. Yeah. Um, in 2017, I, I got into an argument with someone on Facebook about what we were talking about earlier, jukebox musical, bio musical, what is it? What isn't it, it? And I got into a big argument with someone and Corey just came to my defense and was like really um, – bringing home the points that i was making because this show i'm so passionate passionate about this show Mm -hmm. and it totally is a play with music because that script is totally at the forefront and that leads me to um uh we have just just a few more just a couple more questions when you did it at new world stages i think that was the the smallest production Mm -hmm. you had done of the show right absolutely yep so we're i mean the August Wilson isn't huge, but it's no. not small. No. It's not small. Um, there are 1,300 so, 